pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the gifts uh, of your word. Uh, the word became flesh, Jesus, and also the word inscripturated, um, which we just heard read. And what a treasure it is to hear these large swaths of Christ's words to us. Um, and admittedly, it's hard to pay attention sometimes. It's hard to stand and to watch and to listen. And um, we are very good at giving our attention to so many things for very long periods of time. When it comes to these truly weighty and spiritual matters, it's hard. And so we need your help, your grace to restore our minds and our hearts and to help us to uh, know and love you. And just like those who were there standing with Jesus, um, Jesus says hard things. And I pray that we would not be defensive, that we would not be suspect, but that we would be open to the words of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I want to start off by, this is like pre-sermon, so don't count this against my sermon. Um, I sent out an email, we sent out an email this week um, to you all, if you haven't seen it. It's entitled Announcement from Father David. Um, and in that announcement, um, I inform our church that uh, my wife, Kendall, and I have accepted a call to go be uh, a, to church, plant a church in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I will be a church planner in residence at St. Andrew's uh, Church in Polaris, which is just north uh, outside of, Col of Columbus. And um, we, we're excited. Um, it's, if you know us, we're from Columbus. Um, and uh, love that city, uh, have, have some family back there. Kendall and whole family is still back there. We have lots of friends back there, and um, it's a place that we've, we've always had in the back of our minds as, a, as a something that we thought we might go do one day, um, and it's something that God really spoke to us in the time of seminary and throughout, throughout our lives, and um, it just so happened that um, in, in the past maybe four months, really quickly, um, unexpectedly, some things came into place, and there was opportunity, and we felt a lot of peace about it, and um, so yeah, people are like, you know, asking us, are you excited? And the answer is, we're kind of, I think, sober about it, um, because uh, planning a church is really hard, and uh, leaving here will be very hard, uh, and so I want you to know uh, more will be said in the coming weeks. I'm not going to say any more right now, but just want you all to know that um, it would be great if we have some time um, to maybe prepare what we want to say, and then we'll try and get together and, and talk uh, over the next couple weeks. Um, but that's all I'm going to say, because today is about Jesus and not about me or my wife. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open that back up to John 6, uh, and we'll transition into this um, passage. So if you come from some sort of uh, evangelical or free church or Bible church background, um, you're just, you know, jiving with Jesus, vibing with Jesus all the way up till he starts talking about his flesh and blood, right? So like, you're like, yeah, believe in him, have faith, live, all this, this sounds great. And then he starts using this really provocative language to talk about um, his, his body, his flesh, and his blood, and, and food, and drink, and eating, and what's going on here, this really strange passage, right? And if you haven't noticed, John repeats himself, John the gospel writer repeats himself kind of a lot. Uh, it's like he's lost as he talks sometimes, like he just, the same thing comes back over and over and over again, and it can feel like you get lost even while you're reading it or teaching it. Um, and as you read this gospel, you will see that these repetitions and these patterns actually play themselves out purposefully in numerous ways. So on a macro level, on a big level, we see a lot of these conversations where Jesus comes up to, or comes up 
in a conversation with somebody like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, like this crowd, like the people at the synagogue, the, the, the Pharisees at the synagogue who are questioning him. And there'll be this, this uh, initial kind of setting the scene and this uh, uh, back and forth. And they'll ask this question that perfectly sets Jesus up to then give the dialogue, to like give the teaching, right? And so you have these, what's called a literary foil. You have the people who are asking this obvious question or maybe this like question of they're not understanding what's going on. How can a man be born again? Um, where are you going to get this water? You have no bucket. Uh, where are you going to get this bread? So all of this uh, sets up the story, and then Jesus launches into a, a, a repetition. He launches into a, a, a dialogue of this teaching of believing and eating in him. Um, and John's tactic here is kind of like if you go up a mountain. So have you ever driven up or walked up a mountain where you kind of do these switchbacks? You ever done this? Um, I remember hiking one time, I was walking up these switchbacks, and it's pretty overgrown with trees, but you'd get to like one part of the switchback, and you'd see out over the valley and the other mountains. And when you see out over the valley and other mountains, it's such a great view, and you, know, you take all these pictures, and you're like, all right, I got to keep hiking, or I'm never going to get up there. Well, you hike further, and then there's another view, and you're like, well, this is better than it was before. Why did I take all those pictures down there? This is the better spot. Take more pictures. What you realize is it's the same view. It gets better as you go up, but you keep making these passes at it. Or like if you drive around a mountain, there's a mountain in the, the tallest mountain, I think, in Oklahoma is Mount Mitchell, or Mount, not Mitchell, Mount um, Scott in the Wichita Mountains. It's like 3,500 feet, which is great for the plains of Oklahoma, right? So you drive, you drive in this spiral around it, and every time you come around, you can look out over Lake Latonka and see the, the spread of, of the, the countryside, and it's this better view the further up you go. And John's doing this in this passage. So if it sounds like he's repeating himself, it's because he is. He's giving you another pass, Jesus is giving you, excuse me, another pass at the same truth from all these different angles, and we're going to look at that today. So a little bit of like background into how do we read this when it just feels like this deluge of information? Does it feel like that when you're reading, when you're hearing it? It feels like you're drowning in like these, you're like, I feel like that verse I should have thought about for an hour, and then here comes another one, and here comes another one. It's because he's actually helping us understand the first one by repeating it in different terms. So that's what we're going to look at. So, in this passage specifically, we see the topic of, the bre of bread and eating and life and Moses and Jesus and faith repeated over and over. And uh, here's one very clear point that comes out from this, out of all that Jesus is doing. He is the food of the soul. Jesus is the food of the soul that we must have for eternal life. I'm giving the whole sermon away here. I uh, probably shouldn't be doing this at the beginning, but um, physical and temporary provision of food and healing for the body is superseded by this eternal provision for the soul. Today in this discourse, we see that Jesus is the bread. Eating is believing. And the result of eating is communion with God and eternal life. So Jesus is the bread. Eating is believing, and the result is communion with God and eternal life. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? We here? Okay. We all awake? So let's do this. Let's look at it. So look in your Bibles at verse 26, sort of at the beginning. The people were following Jesus around asking for food, right? And it says, uh, Leon Morris comments about this. He says, they were, they were more concerned with their hungry stomachs than with their hungry souls. <laughs> they, should have, they should have really been uh, uh, attention to this, or paid attention to this, that what they really needed was deeper than their belly. And Jesus knows this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 26, you're seeking me, 
not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Can we wait to put that slide up, Kevin? I'm sorry. They failed to grasp the spiritual lesson in front of them. So he, remember last week we talked about he fed the 5,000, he walked on water, and they're following him to get more of that 5,000 bread. You know what I'm talking about? The barley loaves, the fish. They want more of that bread because it's free. Who likes free food? Everybody. So the manna given from heaven couldn't be collected. Do you remember this? The manna from heaven couldn't be collected because if it was collected and kept till the next day, it would rot. They could only gather what was needed for one day. But Jesus' bread does not perish, and it's gathered in to be kept, symbolizing its enduring power. But they didn't see this sign. Because of this, Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. In verse 27, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. It was in the future tense, will give you, not the one I just gave you, but will give you. So we shouldn't spend our time, Jesus is saying, working for physical food or physical uh, means of sustenance. We should be working for eternal sustenance. So here comes the first major question in verse 28. What should we do so that we are working the works of God? Jesus' answer is very simple. He says to believe in the one that God has sent. This one that God has sent is Jesus, right? More on that in a little bit. So their first response to this requirement to believe in Jesus and to eat the food that endures to eternal life is to start to have this dialogue with Jesus that sounds a little bit like I have with my daughter when it comes for snack time. So she comes up to me and she says, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? So they're coming up to Jesus. Can we have some food? And I say to my daughter, yes, babe, you can have some cheese or you can have a banana or you can have some nuts. And what do you think she says? I don't want those things. <laughs> yeah. I don't want those things. I want something else. Can I have whatever? Um, I say, well, those are your options. Um, which one would you like? And she will say, what sign do you give me, Father, that you have the authority to give me food options? I say, I bought the food. You choose now, okay? And she says, when I was at their house, they let me have strawberries. You never let, let me eat or choose anything, right? You know, she just... She's offended that I set boundaries on the whole situation. And Jesus says, hey, if you want real food that endures to eternal life, this is the way to get it. And instead of them being like, heck yeah, I'll take food that endures to eternal life, they say, uh, what else is on the menu? Is there a better giver of food out there? You see, when I was at their house, when we had Moses, is there a bird in the room? Um, when they're, sorry, I was, I was ADD. Um, when, when we were there, Moses gave us the bread from heaven, right? Jesus says, you're all spiritually hungry, and this is true of us too. Jesus presents, himself, presents us with an option for eternal sustenance. You're all spiritually hungry, and so if you want to be spiritually fed, if you want to be spiritually full, you need to eat this bread. So just like them, we push back on God. Well, that, that used to work for me, or that worked yesterday. Why can't I go back to that? Don't do it. Don't go to other sources of, of sustenance. Don't go to your finances. Don't go to your career. Don't go to your friends and family, primarily, even though these are good things. Go to Jesus Christ. He says it. The bread of God is he, in verse 33, 
who or which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This bread is from heaven and it gives life to the world. And they say to him, ironically, sir, give us this bread always. They still don't get it. They think it's actual bread still. So over the course of the rest of the passage, Jesus has to be even more clear. He's got to make pass after pass after pass. And so here's the list. So he says, and we, don't, we can't do all 50 verses today. We'd be here till 3 o'clock. So I'm just going to do this. We're going to summarize. Look what it says. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, I am the bread of life. A couple of verses later, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. In verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 51b, the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he starts going metal on them. My flesh is true blood or true food and my blood is true drink. I mean, he just goes deeper and deeper into the mystery. This is the bread that came down from heaven. But he leaves no doubt what we're talking about. What is the bread? Jesus. Jesus is the bread, right? So just like in a, in a culture where you don't go to Central Market and have like an overwhelmingly, uh, uh, you know, yes, an overwhelmingly large uh, selection of different produce and meats from all kinds of, all, all around the world, you know, mushrooms that were foraged from the hills of the Alps or something, and you have, like, they had very few options in front of them. It's so like bread was essential, right? Bread is, this is what keeps us alive. What is your bread? There aren't other options. It's Jesus. You might think there's other options. We might be in a land of plenty, in a decadent culture. We might think we have other options that are better. They're not. So the bread of God is Jesus Christ who has come to us. Now, what do we do with bread? What do you do when someone puts it in front of you? You can't just look at it and get the sustenance. You have to eat it, right? You have to eat it. God has provided for us the food of the soul, and what do we have to do with it? We have to eat it. This is why when they ask him, so number two, eating is believing. Number one, Jesus is the bread. Number two, eating is believing. When they ask Jesus what they must do, Jesus says, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent, Jesus himself. In verse 35, he makes this more clear by saying, I am the bread of life. The bread of life means I am the bread which has life, like living bread. He says that later, I'm living bread. I am also bread which gives life, like the river of life or the tree of life. Um, I'm bread that, uh, excuse me, it's my nature to possess life and to give life to those who take me into themselves. So when you eat living bread, you get the life from the bread, right? So looking at this chart, we've got a chart for you. Some of you like, really like Excel. I, could, I can do like math like addition on Excel. I can't do anything else. So starting here, I want to kind of break it down into like if-then if statements, right? If you start to see all of these in parallel, you start to see what Jesus is doing. And some of them I've taken from a negative and made them a positive so that it's, it's clearer, right? So whoever comes to me, what happens? Shall not hunger and shall not thirst, right? Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall never thirst. Everyone who the Father gives to me, read it, I will not cast out. Whoever is given to me by him, I will not lose, but will raise him up in the last day. Whoever sees the Son and believes in him has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Whoever the Father who sent me draws is able to come to me. I will raise him up in the last day. Next slide. Whoever hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Now this is where we start getting into the symbolism of the bread. If anyone eats this bread, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood 
You see the repetition? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, whoever feeds on me, Okay, so we have, and we can leave these up right here, Kevin. So uh, we have here all these, these different parallel phrases. You see this? How boom, 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 boom. Jesus is making the same pass at the same concept. And it, 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 what it does is it clues us in, not in this passage primarily, we're about to talk about communion itself. Everyone's thinking, okay, what does this have to do with Holy Communion and what do we believe about what's happening in the bread? We're about to talk about that. But in this passage, primarily what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is that it's actually not about the, the food in front of you. It's primarily about your orientation and your soul towards God and towards the one he sent, Jesus Christ. And so eating is illuminating what believing means. So believing is more like eating bread than it is like memorizing a math fact. Does that make sense? So Jesus is using this human, this human need of eating and this human activity of eating to demonstrate and to illustrate what it means to believe in Jesus and to take him in to ourselves. It becomes clear to me as we look at this passage as the imagery of eating is used then for faith. What everyone has agreed upon about coming to Holy Communion is that it has to be done by faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone's agreed upon this. This is why we require baptism before you come to communion. It's by faith that someone spiritually eats. And that might seem like common sense, but it was actually a huge issue during the Reformation. In the Middle Ages, it became the norm for the priest to do the Eucharistic sacrifice away where the people out there in the nave couldn't really actually see or hear what was going on. It's ha happening in a different language. It was happening pretty hidden behind the root screen. There was like the architecture was set up to separate what was happening, the common and the holy. And they weren't, they weren't participating in it. And it was, and the English reformers were very passionate about this point. In the 39 articles, it says, the sacraments were not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or to be carried about, but that we should duly use them. Jesus said, come and eat. Why? Because all are called to come and believe and not to stand far off. The book of homilies says it like this. Our loving Savior hath ordained and established the remembrance of his great mercy. This meal is a remembrance of his great mercy that expresses or shows forth his passion, his, his suffering in the institution of his heavenly supper. And this supper is where everyone of us must be guests, not gazers. I love that. You are a guest at the table, not a gazer from the distance, like a servant out in the corner of the room. Eaters, not lookers feeding ourselves and not hiring others to feed for us that we may live by our own meat and not perish for hunger. The point of the sacrament is to invite you to believe in Jesus Christ for yourself as a part of the communion of saints and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, when we come to Jesus and we eat and we take him into our souls, we believe in him, What's the effect? What's the effect? Jesus is comparing natural eating with supernatural eating to, to illustrate what happens. We all know that when you eat a meal, what happens about four hours later? Five hours later, depending on who you are. Six hours, seven hours. You're hungry. If you ate dinner at five and you wake up at six the next morning, you're probably hungry, aren't you? The food does what? It does its job for a little while and then it leaves you hungry again. 
What do the pleasures of the world do? They satisfy you for a little bit, and then they leave you hungry again. And then, eventually, depending on what those pleasures are, the amount doesn't do the same thing anymore. And they need more and more and more. It's like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Edmund gets Turkish delight, and all I can think about is Turkish delight, this dessert from the, from the evil queen. And he needs more, and he needs more. And that's what sin does to us. And we can't think about anything else. And it begins to, because we want it so bad, we begin to uh, uh, scheme in the other areas of our life to get to that thing that actually has our, play, our, our heart rather than God. It leaves us empty and hungry. But what does the true bread from heaven do? It satisfies forever. And we come back to it every week to remind us where that true bread is and to remind us not to turn to other things. So there's two effects. There's two effects that this eating of the bread has. Look what Jesus says. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So here, coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus, like we just said, are synonymous uh, just as not hungering and not thirsting are synonymous, they, they report to the, or they mean the same thing, that our, our, our needs and our desires are fulfilled. So what does it mean by not hungering? What does it mean by not thirsting? What is this life that we possess? Look in verse 37. Look in verse 37 of your text. All who the Father gives me will come to me and be present with me. It is said repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John that the disciples are given to Jesus by the Father, something that's true of you and I. We're given to Jesus by the Father. And here's what he says right here. The one who comes to me, I will never cast out. When you eat this bread, he will never cast you out. Because I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And what is that will? This is the will of the one who sent me, that I would not lose anything that is given to me from him, but that I might raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Again, a repetition. We're coming back around the mountain. He just told us the will of the Father is that he wouldn't lose anything. He's coming back around the mountain to tell us again, this is the will of my Father, that whoever looks on me and believes in him, by the way, this is what the Jews just said, what sign will you show us that we may look and believe? Whoever looks on me and believes in him will have eternal life, and again, I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is being very, very clear, isn't he? If you come to him, this is one of the effects. You will be with him. He will not lose you. The first effect there is communion. You have communion and relationship and fellowship with Christ. Belonging to God is assured by the firm grasp of Christ who will never cast you out, who will never lose his grip on those who belong to him, with the end result that when he comes again, we will be raised to eternal life with him. In this way, once we come to him, we no longer have to ever fear of being cast out. We don't have to fear of spiritual hunger or thirst. Our fear of not having enough and not ultimately being happy doesn't have to drive the decisions that we make in our everyday life. We don't have to grasp for security of any kind. We don't have to grasp for making ends meet in, non, in, the, in the intangibles of our life because there is one who has satisfied our deepest needs. It's a foundation from which we can live life out of security. The mystery of the bread and wine, when we come forward, bringing it forward to the sacrament, is that it is a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. He gives himself to us in it. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians. Jesus also demonstrates this act when we come to having communion with him. When he finally institutes the supper with his uh, disciples, 
he sits down with them, and when he gives it, he doesn't set out a long list of instructions on how to eat the bread and drink the wine. He doesn't leave them with another teaching. He lives them with a meal. He shares it with them. And he says in Luke, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He has earnestly desired to eat with you. He wants you to come to the table. He wants you to believe. He wants you to be with him. Earnestly desires your presence at the meal, at the family meal. Isn't that comforting? He earnestly desires to eat this meal with us. Is it any wonder why when John gives his report of the Last Supper, John himself doesn't actually tell us about the institution of the Lord's Supper? What does he give us? He gives us a long speech about Jesus uh, talking about how we are going to be one by the coming of the Holy Spirit with him and the Father. He says when he's praying in John 17, he says to the Father, I do not ask for these disciples also, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Did you hear that? That you've loved them even up to the extent as you have loved me. The Father's love for the Son is the same measure of love that he has for you. When he says, come to this meal and believe and eat the true bread from heaven so that you may be satisfied for all time and so that you can be there at the last day and be resurrected into eternal glory and bliss with him. So here's... The question, what food are you substituting for Christ? What food in your life is substituting in for Christ? He is true food that gives life. You and I are very often looking at the option of Jesus on the menu and saying, you know what, I'd rather eat this. I'd rather consume this content. I'd rather watch this content. I'd rather read this. I'd rather depend on my financial security. I'd rather seek the approval of others. I'd rather try to avoid aging and death or whatever it may be. We're just like that crowd who want to use God to make us feel better now rather than following Jesus and denying our appetites now so that our souls might be satisfied for all eternity. When we come to eat the bread of God every Sunday, this is what's happening. You and I are being offered the true food of God for the satisfaction of our souls. When we set apart or consecrate this bread for wine, bread and wine for use, the Holy Spirit of God oversees this ritual enactment, reenactment of the new covenant. We come to the table and participate with Christ, commune with Christ, and two things happen. We are nourished in our souls by the grace of God with this great truth. And we are thereby sustained as we await eagerly our final resurrection with God into the new creation. The whole of the Christian life is summed up in this meal when we come forward. The whole thing and is offered to you. Jesus is present with us here and says, 
I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you, that you would believe in me. I offer myself to you freely. You don't have to pay for it. Did you know that? It doesn't cost you any money. You don't have to earn it. It doesn't cost you your performance. It costs you other things. <laughs> he says, come and die. Don't get me wrong. But it's free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. He paid it all, and he offers it freely. So you must come and do one thing. <laughs> That's why we do this. Did you know that? Because you don't have to grasp for it. You receive. You receive what he's freely giving, and then eat and believe. Believe and be nourished every week. You must hunger for Christ. You must long for Christ. You must believe in Christ. You must take Christ into yourself and let him nourish your whole being. Don't stand off and watch in your hearts. The Israelites did this at the Mount of Sinai. They stood off and watched in fear while Moses went up. We're all now invited up, not just Moses and the elders, but all of us. Come to Jesus and renounce those other worldly breads that will rot and spoil, that will be used up, will leave you hungry. Come and remember that Christ, what Christ has done for you in dying and rising again and proclaim his death until he comes again. We say this every week. You are welcome to the table. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.